Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. In this episode, I had a conversation with Michael Faraby about business strategy and the fact that it is everybody's job, no matter what your title, position, or size of the organization you work with. Michael shares tips so that you can be strategic every single day, so that you are delivering value to your company and getting noticed for your contributions because you're making an impact. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know that we have some exciting announcements coming up at Ambition Theory, so make sure you subscribe to our newsletter so that you don't miss out. You can do that at ambitiontheory.ca. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on the Ambition Theory podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. This is really exciting. I'm very excited about it, Andrea. Amazing. So can you introduce yourself and tell us about who you are and what you're all about? Okay. So I am a leadership strategist. Um, and I have a wonderful time helping people work through the whole notion of strategy and get involved in being strategic at all levels in their jobs. Uh, next, probably the most important thing, I have two fabulous kids and a very smart and very, very patient wife. I am so interested about you because when you started your career, yep. you worked for Canada's only female prime minister. Such an incredible opportunity. Can you tell me about that? Sure. Uh, Yeah, not only an incredible opportunity, just one of those sort of life things that you'll always take with you. Uh, You know, 1993, very different time than today. Uh, No, no, you know, none of the kind of role models you sort of, as a matter of course, are used to seeing women in in those kinds of roles. Very, just a watershed moment and something that it was just such a pleasure and really an honor, frankly, to be involved with. Um, She was, she's an incredible personality. She's very much a friend. Uh, and has this incredible charisma and power and ability to communicate that was just both awe-inspiring, but also just sort of kind of took the nation by storm at the time. It was quite phenomenal, really amazing. And this was Kim Campbell, right? Give us a little yeah. history lesson, just in case, just to catch us up okay. a little bit. Okay. So Kim Campbell was the Minister of Justice. She was elected the election before, so 1988 or 89, I guess. Uh, first Minister of Indian Affairs, uh, first woman justice minister. Um, I was her chief of staff uh, at Indian Affairs and at Justice. Um, she then mounted a leadership bid, won the leadership of the Tory party uh, when Brian Mulroney decided he was going to step down. Um, and that was April, no, June, I guess, of 1993. Uh, just this phenomenal sense of empowerment. And I mean, I just, everywhere we went, there was someone would come up with like their six-year-old daughter and say, I want my daughter to shake the hand of the first woman prime minister. Amazing. We went to PEI, I remember, in the middle of the summer. And crowd, thousands of people, they had to close the entire downtown. There was just this incredible caravan, people who all wanted to just come and see her and just shake her hand. And it was just one of those watershed moments that 
you know, like when it happens, it's over, right? We've had our first woman prime minister. We need many more. That's not to suggest it, right? But it was just one of those, oh my, this has sort of happened. It's possible. It's validating. It's really, really, really cool. Um, and she was, she's a phenomenally, I mean, anybody who's ever listened to this woman speak, uh, just incredibly charismatic, a fabulous speaker, really, really interesting, crazy smart, uh, and enormously able. Oh, I just got chills. This is really exciting. So I want to go back because you said you are a strategy person and I want to really go back and understand the strategy of this because you were thrown in and you yeah. were on that journey to getting Kim elected. Yeah. So she became the prime minister and she became that role model. So yeah. tell me about being thrown into that role when you were pretty much fresh out of university. And it, what was that like? Um. So I remember I got a phone call from, you know, through channels to come and meet, meet this new minister, uh, 1989 and 89, I guess. And I didn't know who she was. I assumed she wanted to talk to me. I was working as a legislative assistant. She wanted to talk to me because she was looking for a chief of staff. I didn't think it would be me. I thought she wanted to talk to me about who would be a good one. We sat down, we hit it off an hour and a half later. I left. I said, here are a bunch of good names for you. Really nice to meet you. All the rest of it. Got had my boss call me downstairs. Uh, downstairs the next day from my office. His office was downstairs uh, from where mine was. And he said, um, uh, I think it's okay if you go work for Kim Gamble. I said, well, oh, what do you mean? Well, you're going to be her new chief of staff. I said, I think I said, I'm 26 years old. I don't think you're allowed to do that. <laughs> uh, we got along really well. Huge job of managing people. Um, all of a sudden you're thrown into this. You have no management experience. Um, you just try to do the best you can. And I think one of the things that people, you know, that I, it, it can really intimidate people. And I think all you got to really think about is stuff like kindness, right? And being really transparent. I mean, I was 26 years old. I shouldn't be doing this job. Give me a break, right? So you're really transparent. We call transparent. that imposter syndrome. So it's that's a, oh, impo do, yeah. imposter syndrome, right? You're like, yeah, totally. I'm not qualified to do this. No. I. That's totally what you're experiencing. Yeah, except that except you're not an imposter if you tell everybody that you don't know what you're doing. You get my point? Like yes. the transparency piece is really important, right? It, the imposter, to me, the imposter syndrome is when I go in there and I pretend I'm a 50-year-old man who has all the answers, right? Got it. I, so you were I, open I and vulnerable about- Totally. Ab we so have to be. Like, like, it was the kid. Who's the kid at the meeting? Who, sorry, who invited him, right? That's, I mean, that was what you were going to get all the time. So it was something you had to just sort of decide, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm here. These are the type of people I want to employ, people who are comfortable with that notion. Had to hire a whole lot of people, had to deal with their own staff in, in British Columbia, part of the world I didn't know a lot about. We spent two weeks, a month out there for a couple of years. Got to know that part of the world, which I love. Um, and got to know her, you know, all of her sort of circle of people who were really important to her. Uh, but it was, a, it was, a, and, and let's be clear, you know, 75, 80 hours a week, right? I mean, this was, you know, this started at seven in the morning and went till 10 o'clock at night. And I have a, you know, enormously patient wife who's still married to me uh, from that time period. But, you know, it, it takes a, I mean, it, you know, you really need the kind of support network that's out there uh, to be able to do it. And so when you started, you were in charge of the Justice Department, right? No, I started at Indian Affairs. So she in was Indian a junior Affairs. minister of what we then called Indian Affairs. Indian Affairs. Okay, so you started there. I want to know, how did Kim go from this minister to being the candidate to becoming prime minister? So she was then appointed to be the first minister of justice, uh, first woman minister of justice. Um, and uh, from 
and then the prime minister, then a couple of years later, the prime minister resigned. Uh, and all of a sudden there was a leadership race. We, we had very carefully positioned her both in the media and very carefully, and I'm safe position, like, come on, this is not something Machiavellian thing you can do, right? It's something that you sort of struggle with and you try to make sure that she has some kind of national profile and that she's comfortable with what she's doing and that she's making the kind of really important sort of decisions and that people know that she's sort of part of the part of the picture. So we were very careful in how we managed that. And again, same, same process, right? Absolutely straightforward, absolutely transparent. Uh, none of this kind of backroom old boys stuff, right? You had to be doing this stuff differently, and that was very much what she was. was so, was that the person. strategy? Was was that the strategy to get her into that leadership role? Was we are actually going to challenge the way things are done? We're going to do totally. things differently, and we're going to position her as yep. the one to do it. Absolutely, absolutely, and that so was very did, much the way in which we're doing. How did you get everybody on board with that? I'm so curious because this was a different time. This was a different oh, it's a totally time. different. It's a totally different time. It was I'm a long so time. curious. There were about all that. kinds of all kinds of other candidates. There was probably a, you know before there was, there was speculation that he was going to resign. If you if you'd read the newspaper from a month before when when Prime Minister Mulroney resigned, there would have been a list of 17 potential people who were going to run. Right, long list. All of the men, one other woman, almost all of the men who are going to run. Michael Wilson, the Minister of Finance, you're probably familiar with, Perrin Beattie, people, like all kinds of people with enormous stature. Um, she announced her candidacy, and all of a sudden, everybody started doing polling and went, oh, my, I think I'm not going to run. <laughs> one after the other after the other. They realized that there was something happening here. There was something really important that was happening here that was well beyond the sort of normal everyday politics. This was something important was happening here. And frankly, it was the first woman prime minister is what it was about. It was about Canada having the first woman prime minister, this incredibly charismatic, smart person from the West Coast who could speak both languages um, and was able to articulate, I think, a lot of the sort of vision that Canadians really felt was important. Okay, so you got that. So the polls happen. Then what happened? How did you actually strategize this and get everybody on board and move everyone in the direction to make this happen? Well, so so what happens in those kinds of circumstances is you quickly find yourself with a sort of core group of people who are managing this stuff. And then you also have people who are looking for a home. And so as more and more candidates sort of dropped out, I mean, they all had their own sort of teams that were going to do it. They sort of dropped out. You start getting phone calls, right? Well, we'd like to come and join the team and we want to be part of this. So you bigger tent, bigger tent, bigger tent in the process. Um, and the only significant challenger was Jean Charest, who's a friend of mine. Um, and Kim won the leadership over Jean Charest in, uh, in uh, June of 1993. Um, and that summer, as I said, was magical. Okay, that's so interesting. So this idea that this strategy and this charismatic leader, and this train, and this direction that you were going on, it was really appealing to other people. So when they kind of, you know, felt like, you know, my candidate, this is, maybe this is not going to work. They were like, I want to join that group. Everybody wants to be part of a winner, right? People want to be part of a, right? And they can see themselves reflected in her. And she was very open. I mean, I think everybody saw a piece of themselves reflected in who she was. So looking back, what was the one thing that made her so popular and made people want to join your team? Her. Let's be clear, the candidate. Like, you know, the, a- anybody who's going to tell you that the, the backroom boys, because they probably mostly are still boys, not as much as they used to be, but that they can somehow manipulate the world and make all, you know, and do, no, 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 no. Right? This is about the candidate. This was about a really, really smart woman um, who knew what she was doing, knew how she wanted to get there, uh, had a had a team of people who could help her execute it in the process and got there. 
amazing. And it just, I think, so it's just, it sounds like she was an amazing leader. So she was able she to really, that key of like inspiring others and holding yep. people accountable and getting people actually the best out of people, right? Like drawing that out of it. I want you to just, uh, like, can you, do you know, like what about her allowed this to happen? Do you have an idea? Um, so I think a couple things. One of them was just what I, what I continuously just called new and different. I mean, it, it, you just can't, I mean, right. She's going to be the first woman prime minister. And she looked different. She wasn't a man, right? She spoke differently. She had the courage to be who she was. She was a fabulous and very charismatic speaker. She was somebody who, you know, said what she thought. Um, she was progressive. She seemed to be able to, you know, people all, on all sides could, could uh, very much relate to her. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's really what it was all about. Amazing. That is amazing. So this was a very short lived victory. So yes. I just give us a little history job, a, a, a okay. little history, not job <laughs> lesson on yes. what happened so that okay. everybody knows. So fabulous summer that summer Canadians were, you know, enthralled by this woman. And then there was an election in the fall. Um, and all of a sudden everybody woke up and went, wow, isn't it great? We have the first woman prime minister, but uh, it's year five of the mandate of the Tories. They've been in place for eight years. We really don't like Brian Mulroney. And he's not there anymore, so we can't vote him out of office. So I think we just won't vote for the Tories. <laughs> so we went from 176 seats to two. And hers was not one of them. Wow. So virtually wiped out as a political party. Okay. How did that feel? I uh, terrible, 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 terrible. You're, you know, the other thing you got to realize is when you're when you're engaged in something that's that's as all consuming as that, it really, really does. Um, you know, I I would say to friends, hey, you know, if you want the impassioned observer, go talk to somebody else. I'm so invested in this thing. There's absolutely no way I can give you any kind of you know, any kind of reasonable uh, expectation or sense about what about what this is really about. I'm absolutely right in the middle of it. I'm totally committed to it. So don't, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I'm giving you, uh, you know, some dispassionate view of what's going on because uh, I'm totally invested in it. So it was tough. It was really difficult afterwards, really difficult for a lot of people, really difficult to sort of get your head around um, a great sense because you were on a mission, right? I mean, it was, it was a mission. It was a mission. Mm -hmm. First woman prime minister, right? Like again, all of this new stuff we were going to do and how cool it was. And we were going to totally upend the country and it was going to be amazing. And then it just comes crashing down. So, you know, you just had to, as I reckon, I just had to allow myself the time to just sort of like, whoa, okay, let's step back for a bit. Right. And I literally, I took almost a year um, to, uh, before I found myself with, uh, before I took another job, because I just wanted to be able to sort of get that distance, get that sense of, you know, and even on the leadership stuff and prime minister's office, you're still working crazy hours. I mean, I'd been working at that point for, for four or five years, um, crazy, ridiculous hours. You just need, your body just needs to recover. Your brain needs to recover. Everything else needs to recover. Um, but life went on, right? Welcome to democracy. That's what it's all about. And what did you do next? So went from there to, uh, I was hired by the Canadian Restaurant Association to build a lobby business for them across the country. Okay, um, so they saw this ability in you to make the impossible possible. And they're like, all right, we want- Well, I, yeah, maybe. We want maybe this. They, right, well, no, what had happened to them is in 1991, uh, the GST came in. And so um, 
all of us, and this was a business, restaurants, right? And if you think about restaurants, you're thinking about, you know, the fine dining, you're thinking about, but also chain restaurants, right from the Mont Paul, the way up to the most expensive fine dining. GST had come in in 1991. It was a very depressed economy. This was an industry that was used to seeing a rise of sort of three, four, five percent a year. And all of a sudden, they saw an 11% drop in sales and a 25% drop in same store sales in the same year. Because all of a sudden, that meal you were used to going out to, you may have paid provincial tax on it of seven or eight percent. But then the feds came in and applied the GST on top, which was another seven. And all of a sudden, at the end of the meal, you have 15% added onto the meal. And then you want to put a tip on top of that. And it just, in the middle of a down, economic downturn, everybody just stopped going out. They went, oh, this is ridiculous, way too expensive. And the, the industry all realized, I think to their credit, went, whoa, wait a minute. Like, if, if government can go in there and do that to our business, if government can come in and, and as a result of one government policy, we see our same store sales decline by 11 or by 25% and the overall industry sales decline by 11%, which are huge numbers in a multi-billion dollar industry. We need to start getting our hands around how government works and how we can influence government. And that's and what is that they brought what me strategy in. is? Is that really the definition of strategy? Really and taking that bird's eye view and being like, how does this work? What options do we have? Absolutely. How do we overcome this? So I'm so, I, I find this so interesting. So you did that. And then yep. what was the next thing that happened after that? So, so that I did that for a dozen years, had a wonderful time doing it, made it up. But again, same, similar sort of thing. You sort of make it up as you go, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't a lobbyist. I didn't know how to lobby. I didn't know how it worked. I knew a lot about government, but I didn't know how to do it. So you make it up as you go. Um, did that for a dozen years and then thought, you know what? I really want to get, I really want to sort of get more into this kind of, this whole stuff around strategy and how it works and how we can make smart decisions. And I think I've got some good instincts. So I went to the Canada School of Public Service and I spent uh, almost a dozen years there as a senior fellow at the Canada School. And mostly what I was doing is working with deputy ministers, which are the most senior people and assistant deputy ministers, sort of the next rank down, um, helping them with strategy, developing a series of courses, which would be very helpful around strategy, but also figuring this out and figuring out what, what strategy was about and how you can do it effectively. And most importantly to me, because I'm very impatient, trying to get stuff that people could use, right? Trying to figure out how I can actually hand somebody something, some tools they can use that aren't a lecture, that they have to sit back and sort of listen to this person rattle on, and they aren't bromides, right? They're not those, you know, meme things you see on LinkedIn or Facebook that, you know, have a quote and you go, ooh, that's really profound, and then you go to the next page and you've totally forgotten about it, right? Um, it, giving people some real, some real tangent. And one of the things I figured out is most people want it. Most people want to be engaged strategically. That's where the really interesting stuff is. And in the workplace, what we do is we hire them and then we say, oh, we're going to train you a little bit like, like a horse in a horse race. Now that we've bought the horse, we're going to put blinkers on you and we're going to say to you, all we want you to do is run for the finish line. And you're going, but wait a minute, I don't, you know, can I not have a hand in like knowing who else is out there and what's engaged and how I can do it strategically and think about it? Nope, nope, we just want to put blinkers on you and you just got to run. Most people don't get job satisfaction out of that. Most smart people don't. They're not going to get job satisfaction out of just being told this is what you have to do. And then sometimes, as we all know, you get to the finish line and they go, oh, yeah, that's not really what we hoped you would do. It's like, what? That's what you told me to do. Engage me in this process, right? I can help you through this process at every level. So engage me in the process. And that's something that I started focusing on. And, and I think it's just really, really, really important. 
Okay. So I want to understand a little bit because the word strategy, I think, is overused. And I don't know totally. if people- Totally. Couldn't agree with you more. Actually know what it means. <laughs> can we actually- Can we totally can agree. We talk about that? Like what? Absolutely. What does it actually mean? So I, I put together, yes, because I've done a lot of strategy stuff and I've gone to the Oxford English Dictionary and I've gone to all kinds of sources about what it means and everything else. And I've tried to sort of, and you, know, you can parse words together and you can try to figure something out. For me, it's really simple. It's really simple. Before you, if you're a business, right? Or if you're public sector or something else like that, you got something you got to do. You got to marry money, you got to put resources and you got to produce some kind of end product. Now, there are probably 40 or 50 ways you can do that or you think are available to do that. The truth is you have the money and the resources to maybe try about three of those 40, right? To maybe decide that if there are 40 ways you can do this or 40 products you wanna sell potentially, you probably have the resource and the ability to narrow it down to about three. So get smart, figure out who your audience is, figure out how you're actually gonna do that and, and then, and then <laughs> like betting in the horse, decide, hey, we're going to go all in on these three things. This is what we're going to do. We've done all the research we can. We've talked to all the smartest people we can. And we're going to make the decision. We're going to do these three things. Of course, you want to be open in case you walk down the road and one of the three doesn't work. Well, we'll replace it with something else. No question about it. Monitor it. Do all of that kind of stuff. But you got to go all in. you got to decide. you got to sit down. Finally, just sort of go, we can't do 40 things. We're never going to get there if we try to do 40 things. We can do three things. Okay, I wanna, can I share an analogy with you that we use Please. in ambition theory in our coaching? And I want to yeah. kind of, it sounds kind of similar. I want to see if it applies. So we have this concept because a lot of our clients are overwhelmed, right? Their to-do list totally. is like a million, got a million things on it. And it doesn't matter what level you're at, right? You're either, you're a senior leader, you're a junior person, you're in yeah. the middle. Everybody's overwhelmed. They have too many things on their to-do list. And what we do to help people, we have this analogy, very simple. It's called boulders and pebbles. And yeah. imagine you're at a beach and you have two options. You could pick up with both your hands, pick up a bunch of pebbles, you throw them in the water, you do that, they make a few ripples, and there's people on the beach, no one notices, no one looks, they're just going about their everyday life. Um, or you could use both hands, pick up a big, massive boulder, and you throw it in and it makes a big noise, a big splash, everyone stops what they're doing and says, wow, look at that. And that's how we help people feel less overwhelmed, figure out what to focus on, figure out what's going to get them ahead, what's going to deliver value to their company. And as you're describing strategy, I'm like, okay, you focus on three boulders at a time. Yep. And it's, yep. and I love this idea that you said that, you know what, because sometimes you don't know, is this the right boulder, right? People are like, I can't commit. What if it's the wrong one? But once you've thrown that boulder in, if nobody looks, you know, that was the wrong boulder. Oh, you could go back and pick up the other boulder, exactly. right? If you're yeah. still throwing in all the pebbles, like yep. you're, you don't know whether it's going to work or not. So I love that this, I love that you've talked about it this way, because it's making it more clear for me. Wow. So what strategy okay. actually is. Well, well, and I love your boulder piece. I think that's great. The boulder and the pebble piece. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You have the, because, hey, you've got that, you know, you can spend all day throwing the pebbles in, but you actually have the strength to go and reach down and grab that great big boulder and throw it in. Put that effort into it. Decide that's what you're going to do. Decide you're going to throw in three boulders, right? And go throw them in. And if two of them get attention, great. And the third one doesn't, great. Then regroup, go back to your hotel, decide that tomorrow I'm going to go get another boulder, right? I and mean, we're stretching the analogy yes. a bit here, but, but, but totally. the, the idea being like, it's the big stuff, right? And it's the same thing. Yeah. People are overwhelmed. 
people are overwhelmed. You need to try to figure out what from this list of stuff you actually have to do and is important to do. And let's be clear, is strategic to do. Okay, right? pause for Not a second. just need to do, yes. I have a question about this because when you're yeah. in the middle of a big company, right? Yeah. Strategy is not in your job description, no. right? It's usually in someone else's job description, right. very senior, or sometimes there's a strategy department, but yeah. it's very ambiguous. How does someone in the middle of the company like be strategic? Because I know you've said this before, strategy needs to be everybody's job. So yeah. how do you navigate that and figure that piece out? Okay, so I'll give you I'll give you three quick pieces and we can take them apart if you like. The first one, first and foremost, is what I call go analog. Close down your computer, right? Turn off all the noise, sit down with a piece of paper, maybe some sticky notes, and try to figure it out, okay? So d put away all of the stuff that's gonna overwhelm you. Put away, don't even think for a minute about the 700 emails you have to answer today. Sit down. Take that time, be deliberate, be deliberative, figure out, think about what matters. First and, and foremost. And that means whether you're a senior leader, you're totally. in the middle Everyone. of a company. All, all the way, hey, doesn't matter everybody. how junior you are. Doesn't matter what how junior matters. you are. What matters. So that's the first part of strategy. Okay? Yeah. What matters. Then, then you got to think about your audience. You got to think about your audience. So I want to be strategic if I'm, okay, so let's imagine we're selling toothpaste, right? They're spending million, hundreds of millions of dollars, these big firms, right? On doing audience research and all the rest of it. How do people like toothpaste? Do they care if it's got a green or blue or what does it taste like mint or taste like dill pickle or whatever, right? There's no dill pickle toothpaste, probably for a reason, right? Um, think about your audience. What, who am I, who am I reporting to? What is their world? What do, they, what do they need to do their job? I often say to people, you want to go and when you're talking to your boss, right? You want to talk to them about what they need, not what you want to tell them. Okay. So I love this idea right? of audience. And I think this yes. word audience is confusing too, because I'm thinking about, you know, the person listening to this podcast right now, right? That I think yeah. about that audience when, you know, we're having this conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this idea of audience, especially in a company like a construction company, for example, Absolutely. in maybe your audience is a subcontractor or maybe an Absolutely. audience is a property owner or maybe in really using that term. Oh, tell me. No, no. So, so yes, yes, they are for a specific interaction. But from a strategic standpoint, your audience is actually the person who's paying your bills. Paying the bills. Okay, right? the person right? paying so, your yes, bills. That's absolutely. the audience. Okay, no, 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 no but it. strategically, yes, in terms of your career. But absolutely, like you're, you know, you want to think you don't want to, you don't want to put together something that could go to anybody in the world and just hand it off to your subcontractor as if they were someone else. Yes, you want to think about that audience when you're dealing with them. You have to think through what they need. You want to think about how you can help them because they're going to be integral to your company. But if you're looking at it from your own career standpoint, who is your audience? Your audience are the people in the company who pay the okay. bill. Right. Got it. Okay. So think about them from that standpoint. But yes, absolutely. You've got to do all that. I often say, you know, going in and doing a presentation or talking to your boss or, do, or, or meeting with a customer without thinking about the people you're talking to would be like writing a love letter very carefully and then addressing it to whom it may concern. Mm. 
right? <laughs> like, so I want to go back to strategy though, Michael, because yeah. this is really interesting. So I want to get really clear on this because I find, because I do find it really confusing as to like, who are you, who this audience is. So I want to yeah. get really clear on who the audience is. So for someone like me, who yeah. we have a company and we have clients, our right. audience, you think of the audience in your strategy is the person that pays, right? So we're yeah. thinking about our clients that yep. buy our services. That is a mission yeah. series audience. Yep. Um, when you're inside a company, when you're working, you're in the middle yep. of a company, who is your audience? So your, your company, right? Yeah, your company, but let's let's just start. It's really clear. First of all, it's it's all the people you're working around, obviously, but the primary audience is going to be your boss. Right? And above that's going to be your boss's boss. And above that's going to be your boss's boss's boss and maybe the board of the company, right? You got to think about it from that standpoint. So okay. I'll give you an example. Okay. So give you an example. So you have a once, once a month meeting with your boss, right? M- many people do this, right? A bilateral, whatever they call it, right? You go in once a month meet, and, you know, people just sort of go in there and go, oh, I got to meet with Jennifer again. Okay. What am I going to talk to Jennifer about? I don't know. She always wants to talk about this. And here are a couple of things that are really kind of, you know, I'm not very happy about. So I'll talk to her about that. And then I'll tell her about all the great work I'm doing and how this all sort of fits together. Um, and I'll try to impress her a little bit. And that'll be our monthly meeting. And we'll do it again next month. And you go, mm, okay. So first of all, that's just a really dumb approach. That's a scattergun approach to whatever you're doing. What is it you need from Jennifer? What do you want from Jennifer? What decisions do you want Jennifer to make that are going to advance both your career and the company's future? So what do you need from Jennifer? Ask yourself that question. What do you need? What do you need? So I want, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's a raise. Okay. Well, right. Very simple, but it's probably more than likely I need a decision on this. It's been sitting on Mm. her desk for three weeks. I need this sort of thing to happen. I want to know whether or not I can go to finance and talk to them about future budgets. I have a whole series of things that I need to talk to her about, but I want a decision of some kind from her on this stuff. So then be strategic about it. Think about it, walk through it, think about, but then again, think about it from Jennifer's perspective right? I'd like three new people and $150,000 to set up this new unit. Okay. Step back for a minute. How many businesses and people do you know who have three extra bodies kicking around, not doing anything and an extra $150,000 they can just throw at you when you come in and ask? No, of course not, right? So think that through instead of going in and saying, this is what I want. Think, okay. So maybe what I want to say to Jennifer is, Jennifer, would you be okay if I went away and came back to you next month with a strategy that's going to explore how we might be able to augment this side of the business, right? Um, and came back to you with some suggestions on how to do that. Jennifer's going to say yes. Of course she is. Like, you're showing some initiative. Sounds like a great idea to me. Then what do you do? You get her okay. You go off. You talk to the people at finance. And you say, so, if you're allowed, right? I mean, assuming or say to work and I talk to people at finance. You talk to people at finance. They say, yeah, budget's really tight this year, but we'll have some carryover funds. And actually, it looks like we have some extra money next year. Towards the end of the year, we may be able to spend. Oh, that's really helpful. How much would that be? Probably about $30,000. Oh, and that's really helpful. So you take that information, right? Then you think about it from Jennifer's perspective in terms of, you know, people that she has, authority that she has, where this may get in trouble with some of the people she's working with. Think through that kind of stuff. Put together something on paper, right? And then send it to her and say, look, can we have a conversation about this? And what that thing contains is maybe the first step in a process of getting to where, where you want to go, right? And I've spoken to the people at finance and they tell me that there's an extra $30,000 we may be able to access at year end so we could get this thing started to get underway. And then we do this and then we do, right? 
that strategy. Okay, I love it. Okay, I want to break this bound in your model. So the first one is the focus, the go analog and focus. So that would be you going away and being like, you know what, this department, amping it up. That's what I want to focus on. So step two is know your audience. Be like, "Hmm, who's my audience? Jennifer, I'm going to take it to her. I'm going to ask some more questions. What does she need? And then also, I think going up in the organization, right? Like you talked about her, who's her audience and thinking beyond that. So figuring out what that audience needs. um, And then exploring and delivering, bringing the people together. And then what's the yeah. third one? So the third the third one is being respectful of people's time, Andrea. And I know this sounds really silly, but and it sounds really mundane, but it's the only thing you can't buy anymore of. It's the only thing you can't, you can't squeeze. It's like, right? Nobody can get any more time. Busy people are busy people. And so going in there, putting your foot up on, on Jennifer's desk and going, yeah, so we got half an hour to chat. So how are things going? Right. And it's just like, and she's going, really, I got to spend half an hour with this fool. Right. Um, He doesn't have anything to say. Um, He hasn't thought about anything he needs to talk to me about. This is going to be a waste of time. I guess I got to do it because I'm his boss. But frankly, it's a waste of time. No, go in there with some concrete stuff she can make some decisions on. She'll feel good about it. She'll know what it's about. And she will have immediately recognized with you that you've taken a strategic approach to this. You've thought through where this is going right? And you've come to her with some really concrete stuff that she can sink her teeth into and that she's prepared that she can make some decisions on. So it's about, said, about, but it's really important thinking about who she has to answer to. As I said, she doesn't have $150,000 kicking around, right? This is going to be a budget process. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, let me talk. What's the budget process like? Do all that kind of stuff before you go in. So then you go into her and say, look, and I can make this really simple for you. I've already figured out where we can get 30,000. And I understand that the hiring freeze is going to be lifted next, next, you know, next year. So next year, what we can do is we can start by bringing someone in with some of the extra money we've got, and we can start ramping up in the process. And Jennifer's going, who is this guy? This guy's fabulous, right? He's thought this stuff through. He's thought about it from my perspective, because he's, he's not some dummy who just sort of comes in and says, well, I think I should get all kinds of money, right? I thought about it from her perspective. Okay. And it's showing up with the decisions. I like that idea. Yeah. Like being strategic is making those decisions. Cause I hear a lot of the times this like inability to make a decision yeah, well, no. um, yeah. burns people out. It makes teams not um, work very well together. Yeah. So it's like first, the, cause I love how this works together. Cause it's that focus. So you go away, you go analog, you're like, Okay, this is what I think I need to focus on, right? But you're just you, right? How do you know the if the rest of the company is aligned, right? You're like, I think these are the three things I'm going to focus on. Then you think about the audience. Okay, well, you do the research, right? You do the research based on that. That's what the audience is all about. Yes, totally. Then you do that based on the audience, and then you're like, okay, these are the decisions I need to make before I can, you know, go all in, right? Like maybe there's absolutely. And yep. then I love this idea though, because you like we talked about before, you pick only three things to do at a time, right? Yep. If you go to that decision and you present someone with a decision and the decision yep. is made that is no, yes, or maybe yes, but do it a little bit differently, yep. you can actually have that clarity to know whether that thing you thought was important to focus on was actually the right thing to focus on. So I love how this comes together. I love the three steps. Okay, but remember, what it means is you're actually setting the strategy for the company. Let's be clear, right? Like, by doing this, you are the catalyst that is making this happen. You're the catalyst that is pushing this stuff forward. And you mentioned, you know, the thing about people who can't make decisions and how terrible it is. What what you do 
And there's a whole course that I teach called leading, leading the rebellion, which shows you precisely how to do this in two minutes, go in with a thing, get a decision of some kind. If you frame it in such a way, particularly, and we've all run into them, I'm sure you've worked with them, right? The people who are your boss and they can't make a decision, right? And they won't. And you give them something, you send them an email and you don't hear back. And then they say, well, you know, and they do the old, uh, well, I like parts of it. Well, will you go back and research a little further, something totally obscure? Because now I'm trying not to make a decision, right? Anymore. So go in there with something with a really clear ask. I need your okay to do this. Explain why, walk them through it. And then you conclude with a really clear ask and you say, so can I get your okay to do this? And they always have the option of saying, no, I'm not prepared to make that decision now. But guess what? They actually have to say that. They can't play games. They can't send you off to do more research, right? They have to admit to themselves that they're not prepared to make this decision, as opposed to you wearing it, as opposed to you, right? Because what's going to happen when the decision isn't made and it was central to the company and a year from now it wasn't made and it's all a mess? That person's going to say, well, you know, you know, I sent, I sent Michael off to, to, to do this stuff and he only gave me back sort of pieces of it. And it wasn't like, you know, so I wasn't ever really comfortable because, you know, the people who were supposed to feed into me didn't really do it well. No, 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 no. Right. I'm not prepared to get trapped in that trap. Here it is. This is a decision really clearly strategically that needs to be made. Tell me yes. Tell me no. Let's have the conversation. Here's the reason why you need to say yes. I love it. And it gives that accountability back on the person, right? It's well, saying the whole this accountability is back on yes. you. Managing I love up, it. right? It's managing up. It's it's being really clear on that stuff. But that's where the go analog stuff comes in, right? Figuring out what those are. Don't be distracted by all of the other sort of transactional stuff. This is not transactional. If it's transactional, it's not strategic, plain and simple. If it's transactional, it's not strategic. Strategic is something that you've deliberately in a very deliberative way, sat down and figured out in the long-term interests of where you're going. Okay, I love this. And it sounds it sounds so simple, right? Three steps and you can be strategic. <laughs> what are the things that get in the way and make companies and people not be strategic? Uh, okay, so what gets in the way is all the transactional stuff um, where it just all you're doing is transactional stuff. I mean, you got to look at what you do during the course of a day and you go, did I just feed the machine? Or did I actually make a difference? Because if, you know, if any, I mean, you need to be spending 20, 30% of your time doing something that isn't feeding the machine. And if you're just feeding the machine and you got to carve it out, you just have to do it yourself. And I'm sorry, no one's going to do it for you. Absolutely. No one's going to do it for you. So I don't care what level you are in the company. You need to, you can, you're expected to spend 70% of your time. People would like you to spend hundred percent of your time doing the transactional, you know, responding to emails, doing the, this, filling the orders, whatever else you need to figure out. <clears throat> how that can occupy 70% of your time and only 20 to 30% and 20 to 30% of your time is on the strategic, on the bigger picture, on that stuff. That's what gets in the way. You know, you, you take a job at 21, you wake up at 60 and you go, what happened? <laughs> right? Like I just did the same thing for 40 years. I don't know. Right. Like didn't do anything, didn't accomplish anything. Right. I just did ended up doing the same thing again and again and again, you all of a sudden, cause it's easy. No, you got to take yourself out of that easy space, which is a, which is a transactional, close down the computer, start thinking about this stuff, put some markers, put some metrics around it, decide how you're going to do it and start moving stuff yourself, not waiting for other people to move it. 
I love that. And it's so interesting. So we have in our company, we buy those art books. It's like a big white page art book. And I call it my permanent whiteboard. So instead of having a whiteboard in my office, because you erase it, right? So when I go analog, I take my big white paper. It's like a craft paper. And I go and I sit on the couch away from my office and I write it down. And it's crazy how much I can get done in like 45 minutes on that piece of paper than if I was typing it up on my computer. I have to say that and that going analog, it works so well. But for some reason, I still, I feel like as humans, just the way that our work culture is, we just get drawn back to our screen, back to our computer. And they'll be like, oh, it's not strategic if it's not typed up in a proper deck. Or how do you go back to from taking it? I'm just so curious. Just how do you take it from the whiteboard from the I'm analog, I figured it, I got these three things to the computer without getting sucked back into that transactional (laughs) piece. Well, okay. So by just being really conscious of it, that's all, right? I mean, look, there are all kinds of ways you can do it. One of the things when I do strategy with organizations and stuff, I do exactly what you're talking about. It just sounds like exactly what, what you're doing is exactly what I do, right? I have the great big flip charts. I have one over here in my office. Great big flip charts. I have a great big marker, and we go through it that way. We don't have somebody sitting there in a computer entering it in, and someone goes, that's not how you spell whatever. No, 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 right? It all goes on this thing. I'm not a terribly good speller. My handwriting's got better because I've had to do a lot of this, but right? And then we take pictures of them. And then we all get back together and we go, okay. So we've got, and we take them up on the wall, right? And then mm-hmm. you and then you sort of say, okay, let now that we can look at these, there's one, two, there's seven. It looks like number two and number five are actually the same thing. What if we put those two together? Right? Because you can physically see it and you can physically play with it. The job, the, the job of putting it in a computer, it's data entry. What are you doing doing that? That's data entry. Take the, take the great big things you've got there. Maybe you go and do it yourself later on, but hand it off to somebody else. Correct their spelling. No, we got that one wrong. That's not an input. That's not a strategic job. That's nobody's strategic job. The strategic job is thinking it through, being able to make the leap between number three and number seven and putting them together and going, whoa, wait a minute. If we put those two client groups together, all of a sudden we've got this supercharged thing and much better focus on where we're going. That's going analog. That's what it's about. It's exactly what you're doing. I love it. And people could do that by themselves, right? Like you could have different post-its and stuff for your own job. And just, I think that's the piece that I don't think we really do. We don't encourage individuals to actually go analog about their own contributions, their own things. I love that. So they write up to-do lists on their computer and mm -hmm. they print it off and they follow it for two days. And then they go back a month later and they go, oh, well, that's a funny piece of paper. Gee, what happened, right? Like, no, right? Write it out, sticky post-it notes, put it there, move them around, touch them all the time, right? Oh, you know what? That was really important yesterday. It isn't anymore. It goes into the nice-to-do pile rather than the need-to-do pile, right? Move them, physically move them around, write them out, draw them. I encourage, I'm a terrible artist. I'm a terrible drawer. I love to draw. I'm a terrible drawer. I'm really, really, really bad at it. Um, really, honestly. But draw stuff out. I'll say, I'll say to people, you know, without turning it into some sort of, you know, weirdo sort of session, I'll say, no, no, okay. So draw me the idea, draw me the perfect customer. What do they look like? What do they, you know, what do they wear? Ask them all kinds of questions about stuff that otherwise you wouldn't consider. And all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, wow, that's kind of cool. There's some really neat insights there, right? You know, our, our customers are actually, yeah, he's wearing a hat because he's over the age of 50 and he's a man and he's probably bald, 
because that's our target customer. I'm making this up, but right. But the idea of the hat and the person being bald never really sort of occurred to us. So maybe if we're doing that, maybe we want to be thinking about how our product relates to the other parts of their life. We all know a sort of 50 year old man who's starting to lose his hair, right? So what else is going on in his life? How's that affecting who he is? How does that have anything to do with, with where they're going, right? And maybe our product can have some kind of impact on that. I love it. Just thinking about your thinking about the people, thinking about your audiences in yes. an analog way. So I want to go back to your three-part framework because it is so simple and so powerful. So number one is go analog. Absolutely. Figure out what's most important. Choose yep. three things. Yep. And number two is think about your audience. And I would yep. actually say, if you can, do it analog. And then... Oh, no, it's all analog. This it's is all not, analog. Look, sort of oh, being, all the sort of being Unilever. Okay. Sort of being Unilever, right? Where you can sort of do... Look, maybe you can use MailChimp to send around some simple response yep. stuff if you're dealing with colleagues and that kind of stuff. But frankly, really low on the list. Okay, all analog. Thinking about okay. your audience is thinking. 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 About thinking. your audience. Okay, got right? it. So you're doing, you're and then still from analog. there, doing some research, right? So yeah. I'm thinking about my boss, and I was going to go in and ask for $150,000 and three new bodies. And then I'm thinking about her, and I'm going, she doesn't have $150,000. Right? Got it. There's a whole got budget it. process. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I should understand the budget process. So I'm going to go to the assist. I, I know that, you know what? I, I, I go running at the rowing, or the rowing club with actually the person who's the assistant CFO. I'm going to take him. We're going to go have a beer after we do our rowing. Mm. Afterwards, I'm going to say to him, "Talk to me about the budget process." Analog. Right? And he's it's going to all explain. Analog. All analog. It's all, all analog. analog right? Okay, I love it's it. Just okay. following one after the other after the I'm other. Glad. Now I understand that. Okay. Got it. And then I'm going to say to him, "Do you think it's like do we lapse budgets at the end of the year? Most organizations do, right? We have all these big things, and some of the things just don't get paid. What happens to that money? Well, you know, they usually ask for projects in the last month, and everybody comes up with their best projects, but that's not for a couple of months yet. But there'll be some money." Cool. So do you think maybe I could get some of that money if I, you mm -hmm. know, if I had I think my boss could my boss's boss could get some of that money for a project we're working on? I don't see why not, okay. especially if it's Pause. well presented. Yes. This is great. So this is the okay. So step one is go analog, focus yep. on three things. Stay analog mm -hmm. and what it's figuring out. It's like, where do you need to, who is your audience? What yeah. do they need to know? What can I learn from other audience and stay analog? And the no, but what are they, one, no, what is what do they have to deal with? Oh, what did they I have to deal to with? I need to put myself in their shoes. Okay. Put yourself right? in their shoes. Yes. In their shoes. I need to think, if I make this request, what are they dealing with? Where do they get the, where does the money come from? Where do the bodies come from? Right? What, why haven't we done this before? Um, I've got to put myself in their shoes. Well, they don't have access to it. They have an annual budget. Duh. Okay. So let's try to figure out the, like, put yourself in their shoes, not what do I want? It's like, okay, how can they say yes? Okay. Well, they can't say yes if I go in and ask for $150,000 because nobody's got $150,000 in their pocket sitting around waiting just to hand it to me. Right? Yes. Okay, so you put so yourself in their shoes. What do they need shoes. to make this happen? Okay. And they then may the need approval one, by their boss. Yeah. Right? So, so what I need to do is think about their boss's boss, your boss's boss. Right? Decision time. In that case, it would be, okay, they need to make the decision of whether they're comfortable or not going and asking their boss. And it's thinking right. about that. That's the third one is the decisions. I love right. it. And yes. it so sounds so simple, but I'm actually having trouble even articulating it back to you because it's not, 
<laughs> drilled into us in the way we learn right. how to work. It's not, Absolutely we're not, not taught this when we start working nope. um, early on. We're not taught to think this way. We're not taught that this is actually what strategy is. It's actually so simple and I love it. And we always wrap up our podcast with an action people can take within 24 hours after learning something new. So for somebody who was like, you know what, I made this decision today. I want to be more strategic in my role. What can they do to just get started the first step and they need to be able to implement it today or tomorrow? Turn off your computer and your phone. Get a piece of paper, a pencil, and start thinking that way. And don't lift the pencil or the paper and or leave what you're doing until you've come up with three things that matter that you're going to go and investigate. Ooh, Do it right now. Do it I right love now. It. Turn it all off. Turn off the radio. Turn off the phone. Turn off. If you have to go into a closet or you've got to go into the basement to do it and take 40 minutes to do it and just think about your career and start making the beginnings of your three things, what those things will be. And they'll change over time. Just think about it, but set yourself aside 20 minutes. And then and then one of them's got to be, I got to find a way to carve out 20 to 30% of my time that isn't transactional. So how do I go about doing that? And that's just the first step in doing that. Just taking that 20 or 30 minutes. Take the 20 minutes. Okay, this is amazing. And I'm going to go do 20 minutes right now with my white piece of paper. <laughs> um, Michael, how do people connect with you? So I'm at Farabee Consulting uh, at gmail.com. I also have a website, which is called Strategic Rebellion. So www.strategicrebellion.com. Uh, and that's where all of the sort of strategy stuff, including the courses and all of the sort of st stuff that I do uh, is there, but also just find me on LinkedIn. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. 